Welcome to our podcast series called Five Questions, Five Answers, in which we explore a few very important and recent U.S. trade policies affecting thousands of companies. But we have one goal in mind. We want to help you translate the legal into real-world business strategies. It's that simple. My name is Bridget Matheson, and I'm the director of North American Manufacturing here at Aaron Fox in Washington, D.C. Let's start. Welcome to this latest podcast, Five Questions, Five Answers. In this episode, we're going to explore recent U.S. trade decisions and trade policies that can affect the manufacturing of batteries. The conversation will be in two parts. The first episode will focus on the USMCA, the rules that could have a very important impact on the battery industry in North America. And for the second, our conversation will zoom out a bit to include the broader U.S. trade environment under this administration and its trade enforcement strategy. But both podcasts we hope, will be of considerable interest to all of you who rely on an efficient global supply chain, both of parts and materials. I get the easy part. I get to ask the questions, and I get to choose the guests. And today, we are delighted to have as a special guest Steve Christensen, the Executive Director of the Responsible Battery Coalition based here in the nation's capital. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with this coalition, take a look at their website. It makes clear their mission to advance the responsible production, transport, sale, use, reuse, recycling, and resource recovery of batteries and other energy storage devices. How timely. These are exciting times. The electric vehicle industry continues to make headlines in Washington and far beyond. The Infrastructure and Jobs Investment Act of 2021 is one important milestone. But what could be of most importance to the production of tomorrow's smart car? The battery. And so, welcome, Steve. Thank you. It's good to be here. I have a couple of questions for you because we are all very intrigued by your coalition and your membership and your mission. Let's start off by telling us a little bit about your coalition and how it came about and what's your membership look like in terms of are they U.S.-based or multinational? Yeah, well, I'll just start off with your last question and then work backwards, I guess. They're all really international companies, every single one of them, I think maybe, but two, as long as you count Canada as a different country, which not everybody does, right? But anyway, as long as we count our neighbors to the north, so there's a couple of Canadian companies in there as well, but the members represent the entire life cycle of the battery. And that's, and I appreciate you using the term coalition because we picked that in our title very deliberately. When we formed the Responsible Battery Coalition, or as we call it the RBC, in 2017, we thought, well, there's enough trade organizations out there. There's enough industry organizations, um, trade groups, and so forth. And we wanted to make this larger than just the battery itself or a sector of the battery supply chain. We wanted to make it a, a coalition that represents the entire life cycle. So we have companies that manufacture batteries. We have companies that just sell them as retailers. We have ones that use them. The largest and most diverse electric fleet in the world right now is owned and operated by FedEx. We also have folks who do environmental cleanup and management. And, of course, we also have recyclers. So we truly represent the entire life cycle. 
also what we wanted to do was we wanted to create an organization that was essentially answering the questions that the industry was asking. How we operate is from membership dues and contributions, and that allows us to operate much differently than many other organizations. So you know, when you have organizations that do conferences and so forth, where you have these brilliant people talking about ideas, those are great. And we, we go to those all the time, but we wanted to be the organization that actually takes those ideas, answers those questions and puts them into action, really. And that's why with the way we're structured, we're able to develop partnerships with different academics and government institutions and move forward on a lot of different research initiatives as well. So we're a little different than your typical industry organization in a lot of ways, but really it's in our way to be able to be flexible and really ask ourselves the tough questions and move forward on. And Steve, that is why we've asked you to this podcast. What is your definition of responsible battery? That's a great question. That is a definition that seems to be constantly evolving because really new technologies are becoming available all the time. This industry itself is incredibly innovative and it is innovating at such a speed that really it's almost hard to keep up. And you would not think sometimes that a technology that is over 100 years old, you know, the battery, needs to constantly innovate to basically just supply electrons. It has the simplest of function, you would think, right? There's metals in there and they make electrons and we use them. Or you can, you know, you put electrons in, it stores them and then you use them when you need them. It's a real simple design. You would not believe the amount of technology that is needed to operate that properly and in better ways. And the technology that's coming out is actually making some of the most, I would call them, not thought of as much batteries become more sustainable, become more environmentally, become more responsible. But in a nutshell, a responsible battery, as we view it, is a battery that fits a need and that is made with the most minimum impact possible on humans and the environment and is managed responsibly throughout its life cycle. And that's, again, that's really what our work focuses on is ways to understand that ways to quantify it, and ways to improve that. So here's another angle. The nexus of international trade rules and the global supply chain of the battery your members make and deal with. And that's why I'm going to bring into the conversation two of my colleagues who know more about this, and I certainly do. They're James Kim. He's in our office in San Francisco. There's Tony Rivera. He's here in Washington, D.C. And by the way, they're both former senior attorneys at U.S. Customs and Border Protection. So along with you, Steve, the right people at the right time. And so I'm going to start by my asking a question to Tony and James. Tony, you're up first. Headlines are in recent months about all things EV, but as I mentioned earlier, there's a global supply chain to making batteries from, I guess, minerals to cell packs and beyond. And it's the enforcement of these U.S. trade rules that are probably going to be incredibly important for the coalition members. The USMCA, the, I guess it's the new NAFTA we're calling it, the USMCA is an example, but it's new, like only in its second year. So what are the general provisions of the USMCA? Give me the benefits. Are there risks? Thank you, Bridget. First, happy to be back on the Five Question, Five Answer podcast, diving into this topic further and, and really also being here with their esteemed guests from the Responsible Battery Coalition. So first, let me begin answering your question with a short background on the USMCA itself. The USMCA is a free trade agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico. It replaced the NAFTA, which was around since 1994, and it permits tariff savings for imports between these North American countries, helping in many cases to avoid upwards of double-digit tariffs. 
being a new trade agreement, many of the rules are a matter of first impression, and they haven't previously been seen before in other free trade agreements, which makes it so that for electric vehicles in the supply chain, these new rules are really making qualification much more stringent than in previous free trade agreements. So now considering responsible battery practices, and I think particularly within the context of the electrical vehicle industry, well, I'll start at the beginning with the production or the making of batteries as an example. The EV global supply chain for the United States relies on North American manufacturing to obtain the cost savings offered by the USMCA. To put into perspective, tariffs on electric heavy trucks, for instance, are 25% and qualifying for the USMCA permits avoiding these tariffs when imported into the United States or Canada or Mexico. Further, electric passenger vehicles, they have a special rule that treats the electric battery as a core part. This means that the battery itself must qualify for the USMCA for the whole vehicle to qualify and avoid, in many cases, up to double-digit tariffs. So the tariff savings don't come unless you have the qualification for the battery and the vehicle. Here, the qualification currently means 69% North American content, and this will be increased to 72% by the summer, and ultimately it will be 75% North American content required for the qualification by next year. While USMCA qualification can be very difficult to obtain, particularly given the limited access of North American materials to produce batteries. The USMCA has various special rules that can provide a significant competitive advantage by the companies able to use them strategically. So, for example, there's the SuperCore provision, which is a fairly complex rule currently being actually <laughs> disputed between the three countries, but it permits OEMs of passenger vehicles and light trucks to average the battery content with other core parts in the vehicle, which can make it easier to, to qualify the vehicle. In itself. Accumulation is another rule which lets you count North American content in a part and increase the goods regional value content or North American content, even when that part itself doesn't qualify for the USMCA. And there's also a new rule, it's called a labor value content requirement, which passenger vehicles and heavy trucks must both rely upon to qualify, and this requires domestic production over a certain wage rate. So EV companies that can produce their batteries in North America at the requisite wage rate will eventually have a significant advantage over competitors who source their batteries outside North America. That is, while only vehicle assembles require satisfying this LBC requirement for USMCA qualification, such OEMs will look to their whole supply chain, including battery manufacturers, to obtain from them as much North American LVC content as possible. And then perhaps the provision that may eventually help really this type of manufacturing of this responsible battery manufacturing is the remanufactured goods provision. And this really, it helps obtain originating treatment essentially by promoting recycling practices. Honestly, I could spend hours talking about each of these rules and other rules in the USMCA. They all have their technicalities and complexities that need to be paid attention to. But the main point here is being that the domestic EV industry requires the North American supply chain. Companies working in responsible battery production can gain a significant benefit from the tools offered by the USMCA. That's incredible. Dave, I think you had a couple of questions for Tony and James. James, you know, one of our priorities in the coalition is the development of recycled battery technologies and applications. So I'm very interested in learning about how the remanufactured provision works. Can you give a little more detail on that provision? Sure, Steve. Of course, I'd be happy to. And first of all, I just want to say I'm also glad to be back on this podcast with my colleagues, Tony and Bridget, and especially with you, Steve, today and the Responsible Battery Coalition, which 
sounds like it's doing great work in this area. So Tony gave a little preview of the subject, but I'll be going a little bit more into the details. So let's start with the battery itself at the end of its life cycle. We know that at the end of the life cycle of a battery, such as the EV battery, it still has potentially 70 to 80% of its capacity left. So this is where battery recyclers come in. They take those used batteries and extract from them their critical minerals, such as lithium, nickel, and cobalt, and process them so they can be reinserted back into the lithium-ion battery supply chain. So keep in mind here that a lot of these batteries are originally sourced from foreign countries like China, because that's where a lot of the cell production occurs. And even when the batteries are stripped down and these chemicals are extracted, their origin doesn't necessarily change. If you have a battery that's Chinese origin and recycling occurs, for example, in Mexico, then you may still need to pay up to 25% tariffs on those recovered materials if they're imported into the U.S. So this is where the USMCA remanufactured provisions can be extremely helpful. In that example that I gave, if you use those recovered materials to produce another battery in Mexico, then you imported that to the U.S., then the recovered materials within it, like the lithium, nickel, or coal, can be considered North American content under the USMCA even if they came originally from a Chinese battery. So the bottom line here is that this helps the remanufactured battery qualify for USMCA benefits, which means you may be able to avoid up to 25% tariffs on what might have been a Chinese battery. So as you can see, this is just one way that the USMCA can be strategically used to save costs for battery producers and consumers. And this also promotes a sustainable battery supply chain within the North American region. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that's something that's very important to a lot of our members, especially the ones that are manufacturing batteries as well. And believe it or not, the emissions profile involved with the battery, we've been able to actually observe that. And we have a set of green principles that would help quantify the movement of materials. And basically the long and short of it is the less the materials move, the less emissions they cause and the less emissions that are associated with that battery. So if the battery materials, if they come from across the Pacific Ocean, having them have to return across the Pacific Ocean again, to be recycled, it, it just adds more emissions to the battery. And the, it's a set of trade-offs. It's not necessarily it's a bad thing. You just need to trade off how that works. So that's a great answer. What are the other regulatory international issues that folks like our members should be looking out for in just battery industry in general? Thanks, Steve. I'll take this question on first, and then I think Jay might have a few follow-up points. But really, as you pointed out, and I think as, as our audience is aware, and I think really anyone paying attention to the news for the last few months and counting, zero emission is a goal that's being set. You know, this is true whether you're at the state level, such as California Air Resource Board or the Drive Green Program in New Jersey, or at the federal level with with agencies such as NHTSA and EPA aligning to the efforts of the Biden administration, or, you know, automakers, which are coming out with announcements every month that, you know, they have their particular targets in mind. But these zero emission goals, you know, given the the context of the manufacturing and the supply chain, that's part of what needs to be considered, the global supply chain. And as we've discussed on this podcast, the good news is that with international trade, the framework there, there's tools in place to help achieve these goals, which is why the USMCA is so important to the electric vehicle industry. At the same time, though, there are various challenges for the global supply chain, particularly, and I think this is the biggest example of it, would be the limited domestic access to critical minerals. For example, currently, battery production is dependent on various minerals from China, which face up to a 25% tariff and can offset 
really any of the benefits that derive from the USMCA. Similarly, considering the best economic, social, and environmental benefits of really responsible battery management, there is the compliance under the forced labor standards that would be imposed by customs for evaluating the sourcing of inputs for the industry. So that's just, you know, two of the kind of international uh, legal issues that need to be kept in mind, you know, for sourcing the, the materials needed for this industry. But now I'll turn it over to James because I know he has some clients that he's worked with that have experienced these challenges for Firsthand. So, James, would you be able to share some of these experiences that you've had with us? Thanks, Tony. I think what I can tell you here is that from having worked with some of these companies in this space, some of them may jump in before having a full understanding of the rules, which can really impact the bottom line of some of these companies. So, for example, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the battery supply chain goes through China, either in the processing of critical minerals or the production of the cells. And most of these products, especially the cells, are subject to an additional tariff of up to 25% under the China tariff measures. So when you're trying to figure out if your Chinese products are subject to a special tariff, you have to make sure that its classification is correct and whether there might be any exclusions that might apply. So this requires a close look at that product and also the way that U.S. Customs classifies them. You know, and Tony, you also mentioned that another challenge that this industry is facing is the issue of forced labor. The U.S. government lately has been really keen on making sure that forced labor is not used in the supply chain for imports. This includes anything that might go into a battery, including critical minerals. So we know, for example, that cobalt is mainly sourced from the Congo, where forced labor could be an issue. If U.S. Customs investigates and finds that forced labor may be used in your supply chain, your products could be detained and held at the border. Because the battery industry is so heavily reliant on a global supply chain, it is vitally important that companies in this area understand these rules so that they're not caught off guard if faced with enforcement action. We see this as a really important part of responsible and sustainable battery production and source industry. Unfortunately, our time is up. I'd really like to thank my two colleagues, Tony Rivera, James Kim, and on behalf of the entire Aaron Fox team, thank you, Steve, and your staff. We hope that this podcast has been helpful to our listeners. And just by the way, our team here at Aaron Fox has launched a website dedicated to these issues. We're calling the site the e-mobility sector and your supply chain. No surprise. We keep it very updated with our alerts and our analyses, and both Tony and James' contact information are on this site. Steve, I'm going to give you the last word. This has been a great conversation and a very important one as well. I truly appreciate being a part of it. I think there are a lot of important issues that face this industry. As I said before, it is incredibly innovative and innovating so fast. It's just an amazing industry to be a part of, and it's great to be here with you all, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Stay tuned for Episode 2 with Mr. Christensen, in which we take a broader look at the battery sector and the international environment and the roles that each play. And so for me now to end this podcast, let me just say for us at Aaron Fox, being smart in your world is more than a tagline. Thank you.